Welcome to The Interview, where we share inspiring career stories and advice from experts and thought leaders on any and all topics, everything from college admissions tips to the latest medical and self-care advice. I'm host Leslie Heaney, and I'm excited to share these compelling stories with you. I hope you'll learn something new and hopefully share a few laughs along the way. Today on The Interview, I am beyond excited to have Eleanor Aquavella DeJoux joining us. Eleanor is going to offer a rare glimpse into the world of high-end art dealing and collecting. She runs the world-renowned Aquavella Art Gallery alongside her father, legend Bill Aquavella, and her brothers, Nick and Alex. Founded in 1921 by her grandfather, Nicholas, dealing in old masters in the Italian Renaissance, the gallery expanded dramatically under the leadership of Bill Aquavella with his foray into Impressionist and modern art. Today, the gallery is over 100 years old, specializing in 19th, 20th, and 21st century works, and is regarded as one of the most distinguished and respected art galleries in the world. Eleanor, who's one of the finest and funniest women that I know, is carrying on this amazing legacy with her family. And now, without further ado, Eleanor DeJoux. Anyway, we're about a foot away from each other, staring at each other um, with headphones on. So just want to give everybody who's listening a visual on that. Um, But Eleanor is here today to talk about um, her work in the art world, Aquavilla Galleries, your family's business. How did you, how did you (laughs) get involved in that? And we're only laughing because I should say at the start of this, or maybe you heard that when we were recording that Eleanor said, well, you can say your own line or your own well, response I to my question. Well, I said other than being born. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, there were a few other steps that got me to my current career other than it's a family business. So I one of my first jobs was a summer intern at the Phillips Collection, which is a small, really amazing museum in Washington, D.C., and I lived there with some friends one summer, and I went to work for the then-director, Charlie Moffat, and he was actually a great... I shouldn't say actually, but he was a great, great boss and a great sort of mentor to me. Um, And he sort of gave me the confidence to think that maybe I could go into the art business and not just because I had a place that I knew would hire me, um, but because maybe I had an okay eye or a good opinion about something. And so he helped me sort of curate a show with him at the time. And that was sort of my first taste of really enjoying looking at art and trying to see the different ways that you can look at something. After that, I worked at Sotheby's after I graduated from so, college. So was Moff, was that, was, were you in college then? You're interning? I was in college. college. I was like a, I think I was a sophomore. I was going to my junior year of college. And did you, were you studying art history in college? I was studying was art history in college. I um, went to a liberal arts school called Denison in Ohio. So it was a, it was a very generalized art history education. Um, it was not, you know, we did not go in depth, particularly until really our senior year. Um, and even then it was pretty general. Um, so the Phillips collection was the first job that I had really art related. That's actually not true. I worked one summer in high school at the gallery that is my family's gallery. But, um, I was just sort of young and not knowing what I was doing, so I don't really... And getting coffee and... Yeah. Yeah. I was doing what I should have been doing, which was doing whatever needed to be done and not complaining about it. So anyway, then I graduated from college, 
And I went to work at Sotheby's and I was in their floater program, as it's called. I don't know if they if it's still called that. But anyway, you're basically an intern and you go anywhere to any department, anywhere in the company that needs an extra pair of hands for a day, a month, six months, whatever it is. So I actually started out in data management, which I loved because I'm a Virgo. And so they would (laughs) give us these enormous printouts of all these um, client names and accounts that had been entered multiple times because of one little spelling mistake or anything. Anyway, this is sort of boring. But so we were consolidating those. I it was, it wasn't even in the main building of Sotheby's. So I did that for about six months. And then but I that's got, a great way to get to understand every, you know, part of the auction house, right? Being a floater. Totally. I yeah. mean, I mean, you know, the, first of all, they weren't going to put me in impressionist yeah. in modern or contemporary. They wouldn't even put me on that side of the building. And so I got to learn sort of the ins and outs of other parts of it. And frankly, the takeaway from data management is <laughs> it's important to be organized. Why is data management always in the basement? I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, really. always in the other. I mean, yeah, the data management was, people are people too. I mean, yeah, they're people we too. We were people too, <laughs> let me tell you. So anyway, then I got transferred to Americana and I did that for a while. I was a floater, American furniture, American folk art. And then I ended up being an executive assistant to um, a like co-division head. He was the head of two different divisions at Sotheby's. One, one was client service and one was decorative arts. So the client service part was interesting because I would obviously talk to all different kinds of clients. You know, I remember bidding on a like American clock up to like $8 million or something crazy. And I just remember being like, that's a, everyone knows this is a clock, right? I mean, it was so out of my expertise. I, it was very foreign to me, but it was very, I was, you know, sweating and it was very stressful. But so the client would say to you, like, listen, I'm, I want to take it. I'll take it. All so the way I was on the phone to, with this okay. client. So, and you know, you have to bid at the right time. You don't want to get on the wrong foot as they call it. Like, you know, your client will kind of usually kind of t- give you an idea, but sometimes they just go rogue and you don't know how far you're going to go. But if they give you an idea, you know, you have to end at the number they tell you to end on. But if you're on the wrong foot is is sort of the lingo for it, then you have to somehow get to the right amount. So in other words, if the thing is selling for $50 and your client only wants to go to $50, but you bid 45, the next bid is 50 and someone else bids, then you're like, it you're sold done. for what you wanted to pay, but we didn't get it, which is your oh. worst nightmare. So, that, so, so that's probably, though, like that training is something that you obviously taken with you. It was very helpful. You know, it was um, very helpful. Right? To yeah. having that, because you're probably doing that in some capacity now, which we'll get to later. But right, I would Cor- assume you're correct. doing that for clients correct. now. It was, all, it was all good. Plus, it was fun to be at a big company. I mean, there was you know, a lot of other young people that worked there. It was fun to sort of commiserate on, you know, the way people treated you or what I'm the sure kind of things you were doing. Behind the music there's a hole behind the music, which will come out uh, TBD. Another time when, we, when we're off, off, um, yeah, off, off microphone. So anyway, that was sort of how I got my start. And then, and then after a couple of years, um, my father said, you know, I think – it would be great if you came to the gallery now. You've gotten your feet wet and you've got some work in outside of the family business. And I think, you know, you can start to really learn a lot here. And so come on over. So that's what I did. And then when you came over, did you, 
sort of it's probably then to kind of learn the ropes of what was already happening in the gallery, but you didn't have, or maybe you did have an idea of what you wanted to, what kind of art you wanted to focus on or what kind of new artists you wanted to look for. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know any of that. I mean, I, I just, I feel like the first couple of years, I just sort of sat there listening because I, there was a lot to take in. It was obviously very different than the auction market and it was very small. I mean, there was only probably 10 employees at the time. And most of them had known me since I was, you know, five or something. So there was a bit of a easing in process and just sort of sitting back and listening and learning. So the gallery is coming up on 100 years. Um, how long have you been working there now? I mean, it's got to be... I've been working there since 1997. Okay. So, almost, I mean... I was trying to do the math on I, that. But I you can't. and I, I think we, we've talked about what our SAT scores were. So I think that... <laughs> <laughs> didn't flow as naturally a long time, over two decades. There are different ways to be smart, Leslie. <laughs> I mean, you and I are in that, we're in that category. Um, but what do you think, I mean, the the, the reputation of the gallery is, is um, un- unparalleled. Uh, it's one of the, the uh, you know, most uh, well-known preeminent art dealers in the world. What do you, what do you think is the secret to, to Aquavella's success? I think, um, you know, selling quality works, um, having exhibitions that are museum quality so that people can look at an artist in depth all in one place and really get a sense for what what is the best that you're looking for from that artist, which can obviously mean several different things depending on the artist or the type of work or what have you. Um, and, you know, selling good quality things and being sort of honest and respectful of the art and the clients and just, I don't, I, I, you know, that's sort of been the, that's been the program for yeah. a long time. Well, I think and, you, probably the, the, the trust piece, right, of your, you're building that right. um, legacy, um, which your dad and grandfather were known for, um, you know, knowing that they're getting, they're being advised well, they're getting a high quality product. You mentioned sort of, so tell me that process. So the, when you're looking to, when you're having one of your shows, which you have often, you're, you're curating sort of the things that you think are the finest, the finest work among that artist that you represent. Um, yes. Right? Or, or amongst work. an artist that, that we deal in. So, okay. so a lot of the art we deal in, the artists are no longer living. And so you rely on books and museums to really know that artist's work very well. And then, and then in the case of the show we have right now, which is a, a Pierre Bernard show based on sort of the later years of his work. And so that is, you know, we've, we've placed a lot of those works over the years. And so we were able to borrow back from private collectors and then also some institutions to put together a comprehensive show of the sort of last... 30 years of his of his uh, painting career. And ironically, the first show that my father ever put on when he went to work at the gallery in the 50s, um, he started there in the 50s, but the, but the first show he put on was a Pierre Bonnard show in 1965. And that was the first time that I think, certainly that we had ever done a color catalog. And I don't think another gallery had actually ever done a color catalog. Oh, stop it. So that was kind of a new So that thing. was sort of a new thing. And so he he just sent it out to sort of the wealthy people that he had heard of in New York, you know, 
Mellon, Rockefeller, people like that, Dorrance, the yeah. Campbell Soup family. And um, they came in and started buying these Bonards, which he had gotten from the Bonar estate, but he had passed away in the um, he had passed away in the late forties. And that was sort of his first big foray into the art world and his first big success, really. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. I did, you know, I do, do some research before I, I do these podcasts, and I did, even though it felt strange researching um, uh, you, since you're one of my dearest friends. But, um, you know, it's interesting because your grandfather's focus was old masters, right? Correct. And your dad's focus, I, I think, or he was impressionist art, was where he was going to carve out his um, his niche. And um, you and your brother's Nick and Alex, Alex are yeah. both also or involved Alex. with the with the gallery, obviously, and you all work together. And contemporary art is your the three of you are focused on that, or you're particularly focused on that. Or we've is it- just tried to broaden what we deal in because it just brings in more people. So we have not shifted away from impressionists and modern, which has really always been our bread and butter. Um, and that's really secondary market, as that's called. But but um, also we've incorporated, and I mean, my father started to do this as well, but post-war American abstract expressionism, pop, things like that, um, just to sort of stay current. That sort of, yeah. you know, work from the late 50s, 60s, I'm talking about 70s. And then um, we have added sort of living artists that we represent and do shows with. Because, you know, we just figure the more clients we have, the better and the more different types of art you show, the more the more people you bring in. Yeah. And a lot of our clients have started, not a lot, but but younger people like ourselves or what, how, how we, how we, how we used to ourselves. be. We perceive ourselves. You know, when that. we first started living, working in the business, living in New York and we had apartments and, you know, we wanted to put some art on the walls and obviously we couldn't put what we were dealing in or what the gallery was dealing in on the walls necessarily. So we started buying some younger things from other dealers and that's sort of how we started dabbling and getting to know who the artists were and who we like to live with and um, what's, you know, our friends were kind of looking for work. And so that we sort of started exploring, you know, younger and their younger career wise, um, I would say. And then as a result, a little bit, you know, less expensive. So it was a little more attainable for people just starting out. And so that's sort of how that. How do you go about though finding, um, finding your new artists? I mean, it is totally random. Yeah. You know, you see something, you like it, you see it at another gallery, Uh, an artist that you like mentions to you about another artist they like it can really happy happen anyway. Or you, you figure out which galleries have programs that you like and you've been buying from them. I mean, I'm almost talking as a collector now, but also yeah. as a dealer. But there are certain galleries whose programming you like. You've bought things from them. They, have a, they seem to have a good eye. Their artists go on to the bigger galleries and then on to you know, museum shows and museum collections. And that's, that's really a good way of doing it also. But it it can be even less scientific than that. I mean, is there anyone that's like your, your, you know, your like major, the one that you feel like was a, your greatest find, maybe hardest to find or most interesting find or we, uh, so a lot of the artists that we started representing a few years ago, um, were 
already well-established. I mean, Wayne Tebow, Miguel Barthelo, Damien Loeb, Tom Sachs, like those are all pretty well-established artists. We have started um, having shows. We did a show in connection with this curator, Todd Bradway, who had done a book called A Natural Nature, which was a landscape painting book talking about already sort of mid-career, late-career landscape painters and showing the new and up-and-coming and that book came the new and up-and-coming landscape painters and that book came out in 2017 so we had this idea 2017 or 2019 we'll check that we had this idea to I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna hold you to, <laughs> to bring that book sort of not only to life in an exhibition but to update it so to add in who in the last five years had sort of come to the surface and caught his attention. And so we did a big show between our two spaces, one in New York, one in Palm Beach, Florida. And out of that, we got to know a lot of younger Oh, I artists. remember this. I remember that that you did a catalog around that. We didn't do a catalog because the book existed. Oh, the book. But there was but something that you did, did recently with the... Na- you described that because... So then, we have, then we've since had a show with an artist who I... I'm a huge fan of um, Nicole Wittenberg. We did a catalog for that show that was in Palm Beach. That's probably Okay, one. that's the one. Because I remember there were a couple that, um, you know, talking about putting things on your walls that are within your price range. I felt like there were some great things. And yes. then they were already sold. I mean, they, yes. I think it, they were sold before the show even, right? Yeah, she's, the, yeah. she's very, very popular. Um, and she's great. She's a great painter and she's a great person and... I always think it's easier to work with people that you like and get along with. So that's another thing I look for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and how does that convert? There's probably a conversation. I mean, you're almost a representing that deal, or you're almost there. Would it be fair to say or describe it as a sort of the agent of the of the artist when you represent them? And then as part of that, are you saying we agree that we're going to we'll do shows, we'll we'll you know produce a catalog is there any kind of formula to that or is it all just kind of based on it's specific to different artists it's sort of specific to different artists but certainly most artists want the same thing they want the shows they want the exposure in um different art fairs if they're you know if you do the right fairs kind of thing um because that that has a very those have a very broad audience and then they obviously they all want museum exposure so they want to show at a museum they want to be in museum collections right because that actually builds their brand right yeah it's almost like their art it's almost like a stamp of approval right and then what is that process like you go to the the curator at the museum and have to kind of pitch why it is this is this art is important it is incredibly incredibly difficult and i mean i don't even really want to speak to this because there's so many parameters in place okay. right now that make it very difficult to get works into institutions. Um, and it really, there's a lot of different ways that people go about it. Sometimes a trustee will buy it and donate it to the museum. Okay. Sometimes the museum will buy it itself. Sometimes the artist gives it. So there's all different ways but to... But even just being in a show, right, at a museum and knowing that is, the museum is incredibly has, has deemed that work, you know, appropriate or at the level uh, that they would show it, right? Absolutely. Without even having to purchase. Absolutely. Um, so how do you, okay, so a lot of your clients are friends and you have 
friends who are clients, um, people come to you and say, I want to build an art collection. And they want to do it from a both, they want to collect things that they like, that they love, and they also want to collect things that they think have value. How do you... Correct. How do you help them navigate that? Or do you just... It's, I mean, I know that's not a, I mean, I can, oh, well, no. I wish you could see her face right now. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, it's just, I just asked her like, why is the world round? Maybe it's just a big, it's a big one. It's a big. Well, no, I mean, uh, of course that is what we uh, try and do for people and have been very good at, um, and, and continue to be very good at, but it is very difficult to assure someone that things that they buy are going to go up in value, which is what many air quote, collectors these days are looking for. Um, It's definitely changed a lot. I mean, art is without a doubt an investment asset at this point. The numbers are such that, um, yes, of course, it's great if you can love it. But um, most people these days really just are looking to find another way to invest in an asset class that is liquid and mobile. Um, well, because also it's right. It's, it's, it's global. As you said, it's, it's, it's global. Um, so that's really interesting. So you might have people come to you and say, I just love that piece. And I'd like to, I'd like to build a collection around that artist. Cause I love that artist. And then you may have people who come and say, I just want to really, and you understanding the, the market can help advise them on what I would assume what type of, art and or what artists you think are kind of on the rise. Yes. I mean, there's, there's different kinds of collectors. There's people that just want the big, important names that everyone has heard of and they want, you know, the big, colorful examples. I mean, I shouldn't say colorful, but sort of the big, obvious examples is more what I mean. Um, So that, you know, when people go to their house, they know what they have kind of. And that's dumbing way down, obviously. But, you know, when you are putting tens of millions of dollars into an individual piece, it is understandable that people want to display it. Well, to display it, but also <laughs> also to have it you know, be an obvious example of what you want from that artist. Right. Right. So but then there are collectors that want to own. 10 paintings by that artist and they can have the slightly more esoteric version of something because it rounds out their specific collection that highlights all of the amazing things that Picasso did in his career, for example. So there's different ways to go. You know, some people just want one of each thing that's really a great example. It looks great. And then some people kind of have a more intellectual deep dive that they do into artists and and all of that is great and then some people want the new hot speculative young thing and they can buy hundreds of those and they can be right 30 percent of the time they can be right 80 percent of the time but it's sort of a it's a little bit of a gamble in that more speculative younger market so on the the um the the idea of you know art being something that's it's it's portable, it's mobile, it's global. You I mean, it's these, not that portable. I mean, it's well, portable, but it's you don't like throw it in your handbag. Well, you but if it. you're an oligarch on your yacht and you're moving around because 
your yacht's about to be seized or whatever, and we can obviously edit this out if this is an appropriate talk. But if they have whatever, I mean, that's, I guess, and there's also this, you know, when you talk about the, um, the Gardner Museum heist, right, and where that art goes, I mean, if you have, um, you know, if you have a client that's like, I, I only want to collect Degas or Picassos or these, you know, art that obviously is worth tens of millions of dollars. And is part of it sleuthing down or trying to track down where, where it is, where this that's art is. That's a huge is. part of it. That's right. A huge and part who of owns it. it? And I guess there probably are some parts of the world where it's, you know, it's harder to, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I mean, I, you know, that's why I'm, I'm interviewing you. I'm waiting for you it's, to stop talking so I don't talk over uh, you. No, no. My friend in there is very concerned, <laughs> Aaliyah. Aaliyah. She's, yeah. Anyway, um, that, well, that is the advantage of having been in business for so long. So, you know, decades and decades of selling work to different collectors all over the country and the world. Then when someone else is looking for that painting or that type of painting, you know no. where it is and you can reach out to the person and say, look, I have a new client. Do you want to sell this? It's worth this now. And, you know, they can they can make a decision. But knowing where the Mars, knowing where they are <laughs> is a huge part of it. And then with probably the same thing goes for auctions, right? And you all are bidding on, let's say you have a client who's a collector of whatever artist and that coming up in whatever sale, there must be some, what did you call it? The ending up on the, the no wrong not, foot. Um, I was in the no not, the ending up on the wrong foot. So there's a strategy obviously to that, or you talk to your clients ahead of time and say, I just saw this coming out. So the bees auctioning off this, or this is in this estate, this might be of interest to you. And then you, and they're obviously probably competing with other galleries. There aren't that many of in your, you know, neighborhood, but, um, those that are, that's probably, you know, a, a whole process and, and um, you know, area of your expertise as well, trying to kind of navigate that, right? The, yes, and, and we will bid for clients and we'll help them sell things at auction um, if that's the best solution for that particular work. Um, and navigating that process can be you know, more complicated than it seems. So it's just helpful to work with someone like us who knows really the ins and outs right. of, of both buying and selling at auction. And then what about, so for someone who's interested in collecting, they love art, but they're not in a position to buy something necessarily from Aquavella or another um, sort of top, top gallery. Where Where would you, you know, a teenager or a college student or I don't know, or someone else who's just looking for, you know, what, depending on what their, their price range is. I mean, is there go, is it going to fairs? Is it going to, is it going to get yeah, galleries? Going to fairs is a great way because you see, you see hundred, a hundred galleries or right. more all at one time. So you can kind of see what, what booth you're attracted to, what aesthetic from each gallery you seem to be drawn to, and then you can kind of follow their program. You can also see a lot online. I mean, right. I, I would never tell you that looking at things on a screen replaces looking at them in person. I, in particular, feel like looking at work in person 
it's hugely important for me. It's hugely important. I have a hard time buying things that I don't see in person, although I do do it occasionally. And um, so that's a really easy way. Is and there a site or how would you that there's that's a, a there's, kind of a go to that, that curates or looks for kind of up and coming or younger artists? I wouldn't say that it curates it, but there's a site called Artsy. OK, it's very oh, comprehensive yeah. and has a lot of different work on it. Many galleries list works on there and you can see what shows are happening and what gallery you, you can go by gallery you can go by artist you can you can get a lot of information that way and see a lot at once and then of course you can go to the different neighborhoods I mean if you live in New York City you're in luck because you can look at a lot of art all the time you yeah. can go to Chelsea you can go to Tribeca you can go to the Lower East Side Upper East Side there's plenty of places um, that have sort of clusters of galleries so you can go and see three to 12 or 20, depending on what neighborhood you're in, all, all at once, you know, in a, in a couple of hours, which is a great gift for learning. Oh, yeah. What about, so the fairs, right? There's Miami. Well, there's there's three different brands of, okay. I mean, there's obvious, excuse me, fair people, there's one million different brands of fairs, but the sort of big conglomerate fairs that people really, um, follow and and aspire to show in i would say is um the the what's it called ba basel art right, basel, basel which is in hong kong miami oh so that's its own it's brand, its own and, brand. And, and then they they hong kong miami um and now paris they bought okay. fiat so now it's called paris plus okay and so that's i don't think they have another one but i might be blanking so we'll look that up and then, and then the other big brand is Freeze. So oh, Freeze right. oh, has yeah, London, New, New York, York. Um, Seoul, Korea, and I think I think just those three. But again, and then, do people? Is there? There's probably is there a whole process? Uh, I mean, obviously, galleries right have booths at those fairs, but are there? Is there a committee or something that decides which galleries yes. are there's there? Yes, there's an application process. There's a committee made up of dealers that that does the selection process that figures out who's going to go where within whatever space that fair is in, whether it's a convention center. Oh, that's so they tend interesting. To, so they map it all out, and you know, you apply for a certain booth size, and they, you know, these people decide if you get in or not. Oh, interesting. And then anyone can go, anyone can buy a ticket? Anyone can buy a ticket, but the first day or two, depending on the fair, um, is usually a VIP day, which is okay. invitation only. So, okay. Any like favorite stories or like, I, I know the Steve, the great Steve Wynn story with your dad. Is there any, which you can certainly tell cause it's amazing and I think it's public. So it's not like a I know anything it's been not, it's not been told. For so sure. maybe maybe it's maybe it's an, a, a uh, it's it's an old it's too old to to regurgitate. But um, but what about any any other like great you know stories of art that you know purchasing or clients losing I something? I should have thought about this before I came. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good stories. You don't really one of I would say one of the back to your earlier question yeah. of one of your reasons for a hundred years of success. Yeah. I would say discretion is one, <laughs> <laughs> and so people really value people really value our discretion and always have. And so we're just one of the you know you don't 
read about us much and we try and promote our exhibitions, not ourselves. Yep. So, um, that's, you know, you don't read about us much, hopefully. So we'll, 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 we'll keep the, the secret client stories then secret. The secret I, client stories will be secret. Um, okay. Now what about technology and changing sort of changes over time and how art is bought or sold? Obviously the internet, you talked about artsy and other, other, um, galleries and, and artists being available online is one thing. My husband wanted me to ask you about NFTs. I have, I find this very confusing. Maybe you can explain what they are and how it works. Cause I actually researched it. And again, you know, not, not in the 1300 zone. <laughs> I had a difficult time really pinpointing um, exactly how it works. It's sort of into me kind of the crypto Bitcoin space. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, So NFTs are, it literally stands for non-fungible tokens. Okay. And uh, that could pretty much tap out my knowledge about it. No, I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but they are, it's digital. My understanding is it is digital information that is on the blockchain so that it is totally traceable and trackable. And are people trying to buy art with? Yes. Okay. So, so an NFT can but be anything. I, but at your level, no. Well, one of our artists, Tom Sachs, who's yep. very sort of cutting edge creative and he does everything from sneakers to apparel to NFTs to sculpture to paintings to video to performance. And he um, he made some NFTs of rockets and you can buy different components of a rocket and assemble it or just own the NFTs and then trade those. So you sell them, but you have to sell them on the specific uh, site okay. that handles that for you. It's, um, I would say it is not something we deal in. Right. Okay. And, and one of our artists happened to have done it somewhat successfully, um, created them and, created a market for himself, but generally speaking, we don't know that much about it. Yeah. Um, but I'm but, sure you can, you can't see my expression, <laughs> my, my look of confusion, though Eleanor is explaining it really well. I, um, again, not, not my strength understanding, but it's interesting that there, that, that artists are pursuing other ways for them to Create well, or find value, create value in their art. We're staying relevant. Yeah. With the next generation. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's really, I think what a lot of this is about. And that's been one of the things that's been sort of an adjustment for galleries and a lot of galleries. I mean, we used to have transparencies, which are clear film, like almost like a negative, but it's a good image of a painting. And we would have to bring it to someone's house and show it to them and then see if they wanted to see the painting. Now you send someone an email, you hope they look at it because they probably get a thousand a week and it's very hard to sort of get people's attention when everything is coming to them through the same medium. I mean, their bank information, they communicate with their children, their art, yeah. their health, their shopping, everything comes through that phone. And so to stand out is a challenge. Well, one of the ways, I mean, I think Aquavella stands out so incredibly um, is is the catalogs that you produce, which are absolutely beautiful. And we are the uh, lucky recipients of them. And when, it, when they come in the mail, we get, I mean, we're very, we get very excited because we know we're going to be looking at beautiful art, 
But the books themselves are really spectacular. I mean, there's so much work that goes into, or appears so much work goes into all the research around the artist. I mean, tell us about that. And do you and your brothers kind of take turns um, with different artists with their catalog? Or do you all collaborate together? Or how does it, how does the process work? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the plug on our books, because we work incredibly hard on them. And, um, you know, books are really important, I think. And we keep doing them, even though it seems like maybe the future is going to be digital or AI, or I don't even know what. But anyway, so our books, people do really treasure our books, which we appreciate. So basically for each, not each show, but depending on the show, we'll put together a publication and we usually publish it in conjunction with a, um, a nationwide or worldwide publisher. Um, so in the case of, you know, uh, a few of our most recent books, we've worked with Rizzoli, for example, because okay. then you get very good distribution and we don't have oh, that's, distribution. Oh, so that I, I just assumed you were sending it to your client list and, you know, we friends do, list. We do, but then Rizzoli puts them in their stores and sends oh, them to Oh, really? Their, okay. And that's, that's a new, that's a new thing that you're doing. Well, we probably started that like 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So that just, <laughs> I've been a little behind and I'm following um, what's been going on, I guess, then over the past 10 years, but that's... Um, well, so that, that just gets you broader reach. Yeah. Of and, well, they're, well, they're such beautiful books. I mean, they're, right. they in, of themselves are, they're art history books, obviously, because you're yes. giving the whole background on the artist. Pictures are beautiful. I'm, um, that's yes. terrific. Are, it makes sense. We are People, very particular about, reach your broad audience. about the images and we color correct to within, you know, an inch of their life. I mean, it's very laborious and time consuming and, but very important part of what we do. Well, I love hearing the story that your dad was kind of the first one really in the fifties to do that and seeing the success of, of, of putting one of those books together. Is, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, you hope it works when people receive that in the mail, they read it and they look through the images and look through the show and hopefully they've already seen a lot of times the catalog comes out towards the end of the show because it takes a long time to go through all those motions that I mentioned, the color correcting, the editing and all of that. And then the printing takes a while. So up until the show opens, you're not maybe totally sure what's in the show or if, you know, some of the paintings aren't finished, if it's a contemporary okay. painter. So they come out sort of after the fact, but it's another reminder of a, sh- of a show you have on or another great show that you just had. And so it just sort of keeps keeps you at the front of people's minds, which is good. And then how do you, for artists that are not living, that you represent, I'm, I'm sure you have all the kind of archive materials or materials about kind of the historical background on those artists and the art, but do you work with any art historians or do you not need we, to, to We do usually that? do work with art historians on our, like our big loan shows, we call them, where we borrow works and um, generally things aren't for sale. We borrow from institutions, private collectors, and then we have an art historian who either writes an essay or a couple of art historians who write essays or a curator or sometimes the person is the curator and writes the essay. And that, you know, just gives it another sort of perspective and and another great name attached to the publication, which you know, just helps broaden its desirability. 
yeah, and it's it's giving it that other kind of um, stamp is not probably the right description, but you're talking about having a piece in a museum or having, you know, yeah, exactly. part of an important it's show. It's another important name associated with an artist or the publication or, or, you know, and both. So COVID happens. I heard of it. Um, we, <laughs> so many of our friends, um, as they, the, the smarter among us, uh, went south um, where the weather was warm and um, some restaurants were open sooner. Aquavella moved down to Palm Beach. Well, we didn't move. Us, we we well, opened not, a space I'm down sorry, there. What, what I'm, sorry, that's yeah. what I meant, I guess. So Aquavella opened up its, uh, its another gallery down in Palm Beach. Will you talk about kind of that process or the thinking behind it and how that's, how that's gone? And I know, I know. Sorry. My back is killing me. These chairs. <laughs> Not your fault. Um, yes. Yeah, so that, you know, COVID was a crazy time. Everybody knows. And um, I had been out in Long Island for the spring of 2020 and just felt like there was no end in sight. Things were not getting yeah. better. And New York did not seem to be opening up in the way that you need it to, to fill your space with people looking at art. And so we sort of felt like Florida was, you know, a place where things were open for business. And and, and I bet you a lot of your clients and a lot of our down there. A lot of our yeah. clients were there. A lot yeah. of our clients were there and a lot of, you know, people that we knew or didn't know that well or people we didn't know but we knew of they a lot of them were down there so we went to um Samantha Perry who is a friend and looked at some space in the Royal Poinciana Plaza in Palm Beach and I, obviously this is the short version and we it was us and Sotheby's private sales and Pace gallery um who decided to go we thought if we went as like a group of three it would make us more of a destination and so we oh, worked I didn't together realize that they're also in there too yeah so we worked okay. together and found spaces that that worked for the three of us and we opened in november of 2020 it was like it was pretty quick i mean we went down there basically in august to look at the spaces and kind of just did a that is so smart very because, quick yeah. kind of build out on you know ours was a clothing store before that so you know, we just covered the shelves and moved on in and it, and it was great. I mean, you know, artists were very excited to have shows. Yeah. People were very excited to look at art. Yep. It was great to have, you know, secondary market shows. People wanted to see those and it was, it allowed us to sort of continue doing business during basically the entire pandemic, which, which was really great. And people really, the, the local community really appreciated it and people came from all over. I mean, they yeah. came from Miami, they came from Boca, they came from Tampa. I mean, they, you know, people really made a uh, made a point to visit because they were so starving for kind of that gallery different show buzz. Is there any it's probably too soon to to um know, but are you seeing any change in kind of artists work coming out of COVID or I'm assuming they were all Hold up in their houses like we were, but they obviously had probably more stuff to do than those people who don't usually work or have gallery uh, studios in their, their yeah. houses and stuff. I mean, a lot of artists that I know and talk to kind of liked COVID. I mean, not to make light of it. Obviously, it was terrible, and a lot of people 
suffered tremendously, but they they liked the the respite from life yeah. and all of the um, responsibilities that one has socially and business wise. Um, and they got to just be in their studio and not leave and just work, work, work the whole time. And the artists I know absolutely loved it. And did they feel like the the subject matter of their their work or their I mean, was there any kind of melancholy, you know, yes, attached some, to it? Or? It depends. I mean, some it, it depends on the artist's circumstances. Right. You know, some were alone in their studio, right. which is obviously not ideal, and some were with, you know, family at their favorite place, you know, making work that reflected their right, right. quality time. Right. So it, it's very artist it's very artist specific. But but I mean the only thing I I mean by this is that having that ability to work sort of seven days a week uninterrupted for months on end yeah. was something very unusual to most artists that I know. So they that it 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 was a great reminder of kind of they love what, what, what they're they doing do. and they just want to be able to make art. I love their co- the artists commenting too that they liked having like the, the quiet time or some people found it to be probably restorative with their work. I mean, my husband, who you know very well, says he'd like to live in phase two of COVID, which means just small dinner parties with people that he already knows and yes. likes. Um, so I, I, I can certainly relate. How quickly the, we've forgotten. <laughs> I mean, well, what, what some would give to go back to um, phase yes. two. Um, so some people listening, I think probably um, either, you know, know of people who are in family businesses or have worked with, you know, family members in different capacities. Obviously, your family has been able to run a business, a family business successfully. What do you think are sort of the secret ingredients there? Or how do you, what's your advice for others? I mean, many of us can barely get through Thanksgiving. I just was <laughs> impressed by how close you all are and how well you work together. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know. We get along incredibly well and we respect each other. We listen to each other and we support each other no matter what, um, which I think is a huge part of yeah. it. And we all have different things that we're good at. And so sort of the different things we do on a day-to-day basis has all happened kind of organically because there are just certain things that, you know, some of us clearly enjoy more and are better at than than others. And it's miraculously worked out well. And frankly, as the art world has exploded yes. in the last 30 years, 20 years, um, I mean, 30 years basically, which is just unbelievable. But anyway, it's Thank God there's three of us, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, you know, tons of travel to do. There are clients all over the world. There are shows to see. There are artists to see. And it's really great to have three people. I mean, my father, of course, does it too, but he gets to really choose what he does. Um, Do the three of you have to decide together about... um, a new artist to represent or do you just kind of, each yeah, we, have your, we always talk about yeah. it. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it's always a, we, we always sort of agree or agree to agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we just, we don't do things without 
without the other sort of okay or enthusiastic, let's do it, or something of the sort. What about, that's my last question, because I kept you here for too long. It's pouring rain out. I mean, if you knew, it's true love. It's true, it's true love that it's you came love. down here. I mean, it's like we are in, yeah. in really yeah. kind of downtown. I thought as I'm sitting in traffic, I'm like, oh, oh, what am I going to yeah. do? It turns out that we bought too many Billy Joel concert tickets tomorrow night, so I was hoping I could give no, you Eleanor some concert tickets, but she has another another engagement tomorrow, an art engagement. An art engagement. Tomorrow that's night. True. We are we are back and in full force. The art world is can't have enough parties. It seems like parties, auctions, galas, benefits. Do you feel like there's more coming out? I mean, is it just people are trying to do catch up? Is there? I don't. Or is it the same? Just the same schedule? It's not. I think it might be the same schedule. It just we're not used to it. Yeah. Just oppressive. Yeah. Sorry. No, I. (laughs) (laughs) So, but anyway, I'm doing it with a smile. Like future of art we know about art you know and can describe the the nfts but is there any kind of do you think you know is it more um and what is the term i'm looking for not sculpture but you know kind of the um more interactive pieces or you know physical things that you're experiencing is it or is it just you think you're going to see everything i think we'll just see more of everything i mean you know, I don't think oil on canvas is going to, right. It's not going to go away because it's a part of art history, but I think we will see sort of more and more things that you and I would call sort of out there or like it's experimental. Yeah. Because I mean, we just don't even know what's right. We we don't, you know, we, we've, I mean, I, I feel like I have, it's very hard for me to anticipate technologically what is possible in the world because I barely understand what's happening as it has already happened. We could barely figure out, well, we we put our headphones on, but the, we did stare at each other (laughs) to make sure that they were working. But I think AI might, I mean, there could be all kinds of influences, right? That, that you can't even AI. I think in a year we're going to be like, remember when we didn't have, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what it is, but I, I think it's all happening very fast and it is over my head for sure. Um, well, I love you dearly. I desperately appreciate you coming down. Thank you. Um, I learned a lot. I know our listeners will learn a lot. And um, it's just so interesting to hear kind of process and how you, you know, sort of the, the breadth of the whole art world and how it works. And, and um, nobody does it better. Nobody well, does it better. thank you. That's, um, as Carly Simon said. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming, Al. Okay, Thanks. A huge thanks again to Eleanor Aquavella de Joux for joining us in the interview. She's so terrific. I absolutely adore her. And I learned a lot about the art world. If you did enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at The Interview with Leslie. A new podcast is released every Wednesday. Until then, this is Leslie Heaney. And don't forget to join us at The Interview. 